John 13. We've been walking through the book of John for some time now, and we still have a little while left to go in this book. title of the sermon this afternoon is A Disciple's Commission. Last week we looked at the gospel, we looked at the uh, marks of effective evangelism. And as we step into the next nine messages, uh, there, John 13 really marks a turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ as it's recorded in the book of John. John 1 through 12, and I mentioned this way back at the beginning in the book sermon, John 1 through 12 is focused in on the idea of light and darkness, of Jesus Christ uh, out and telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, telling them about the good news, showing them through His works, through His authority, through all of the marks that we've seen in the past 12 chapters, that He is in fact Jesus Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the one that should come, and that they ought to and must accept Him. But in John chapter 13, Jesus' public ministry, for all intents and purposes, is over. As we step into John 13, many of those common events that we associate with the final weeks of Jesus' life have already happened. Jesus has already had His triumphal entry. We saw that last week. The people have rejected Him uh, one final time before they would call for His crucifixion. And in John chapters 13-17, through 17, Jesus Christ is recorded as being devoted entirely to His disciples. John 12 through, or excuse me, 13-17 through 17 is uh, dealing with those events that happen between Him and His disciples before the time that He is betrayed, tried, and crucified. During this time, Jesus will instruct His disciples on what to expect and how to respond in the days following His death. These five chapters are Jesus' efforts to prepare these men and then to guide them through the inevitable feelings of confusion and loss that would come about when Messiah was killed on the cross. You know, there comes a point in every parent's life where they must realize that their children are at some point going to operate without them. When at some point their children must operate separate from them. Now, for some of us in this room, that that day is past already. Our, Our children are gone and they are now operating independently on their own, making their own choices. They have their own families, those sorts of things. For some of us, The occasion is right now. You are thinking through those opportunities right now. uh, How to um, help your children take that next step. You're watching your children grow and transition out of your care and into their own lives. For others still, those days are, are yet to come. As the old adage goes, you cannot always protect your children You can only prepare them for what they're going to face. And I believe the adage, the proverb, is very true. There are going to be times in the lives of every parent when you are going to want to rescue your children from their circumstances. When you are going to want to help your children, but you can't. There is nothing you can do, or perhaps there is something you can do, but you know that they need to get through this one on their own. 
They need to grow. They need to take responsibility. It's a circumstance that is theirs to contend with. So, as diligent parents, we spend the years that we have with them, teaching them, training them, preparing them, laying the foundation, showing them by our example, and praying and expecting that all of those lessons that you have taught them in those years that they were with you will equip your children to make the right decisions when it comes time for them to make them. You can't always protect them. You can only prepare them. As we think about that proverb, that thought, we recognize that Jesus Christ, to some degree or another, is there with His disciples. It has been years that these disciples have been following Him. And now He was about to go away. He knew what was going to befall them in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years. He looked ahead and saw the joys and the victories that they would see, that they would realize in their lives and in their ministries. But He also looked ahead and recognized death, trial, tribulation, persecution in their future. He saw their service. He knew there would be fears. He knew there would be tears. He knew there would be confusion. He could not protect them from this, nor did He want to protect them from this. But He did want to prepare them in order that as disciples of Jesus Christ, they could go through the trials, go through the tribulations, the joys and the sorrows, and come out on the other side servants of the living God nonetheless. And so in the next five chapters, we will see Jesus Christ's preparation of His disciples for His departure. Over these weeks, each title of each sermon is going to be uh, something having to do with discipleship. When I get back from my trip, we are going to focus in Sunday school as well on discipleship. And there's going to be a tremendous discipleship focus as we recognize Christ's commissions to His people, to these twelve in particular, over these next many weeks. And so this morning, we are going, this evening, this afternoon, there we go, we are going to look at a disciple's commission. And we're going to look at two commissions from the Master to His disciples from John 13. And as we do so, we're going to learn some lessons for us as well. John 13, 1-17 will be the passage for today. And the first commission that Jesus Christ gives to these men as it's He and them together is this. You have followed. You are My disciple. Now keep clean. You have followed. Now keep clean. Verse 1 of chapter 13 in the book of John. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And, he, and after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. You have followed, now keep 
clean. After supper was ended, the Scriptures record that Jesus Christ knew His time had come. Satan had now filled the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Him. His time was rapidly coming to an end. The Father had prepared all things to be given into the hand of the Son. Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, His glorification was at hand. Jesus had come from God. He was about to go back to God. The the weight of this tremendous event in history was beginning to bear down on Jesus Christ in a very real way. And Jesus spent these last hours serving. In verse 4, it says that Jesus took a towel and He filled a basin full of water and He knelt down and He washed His disciples' feet. And then He took that towel and He dried their feet. Foot washing in Jewish culture was a cultural necessity of the day, but also one of great humility. When the men and women walked around, they wore sandals, and as they walked along the roads, their feet would get very dusty. This dust simply collected by walking. It's not as if they were jumping in mud puddles or anything like that. They were simply going from point A to point B, and it was very dusty, so they would get dust on their feet. And as a good host, a host would find, have a servant, perhaps, wash the feet of those that came into their house. This would be an honor for a guest. This would be a custom of of hospitality for a guest. But it was also an element of the Jewish culture that was exceedingly humbling. Even in our culture, you can imagine the stigma that would surround foot washing. I know some churches that do it. Our church does not. But you know, feet, as a rule, are not the cleanest things. And as a general rule, the whole idea of washing is somewhat repulsive, is it not? Now, they didn't have socks and tight shoes and probably the, the, the stinking and all that stuff with, that comes with socks and shoes and such may not have been quite as, quite as um, a problem then. But you still have foot issues. There are still hygiene things going on with feet that just don't make feet very alluring to us as a whole. And so they would choose a servant. Somebody that was already humbled. (laughs) And he would be the one to wash the feet. And here, the king of the universe, God in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, knelt down and washed the feet of His disciples. The disciples didn't really know what to make of it, and Peter was not very happy with this arrangement. We know that Peter has, um, as some pastors call it, foot and mouth disease. Uh, Peter has a problem with saying things without thinking very well. He has a great zeal and love for the Lord. And as such, he didn't like this idea. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't he be washing Jesus' feet? Why is Jesus kneeling down to wash his feet? This is reminiscent of John the Baptist when Jesus came to be baptized. And John said, Nay, I have need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, Suffer it to be done that we may fulfill all righteousness. And that's what Peter says in verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? You're not going to wash my feet, God. Not my God washing my feet. 
Notice Jesus' answer in verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter was not convinced. He says in verse 8, Thou shalt never wash my feet. You are God. You will, I will never allow you to bend down and humble yourself to wash my feet. No way. Jesus' response, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. There's a bit of a verbal sparring match that goes on here between Peter and Jesus. Peter is truly doing something commendable here. He is trying to show Jesus Christ his worth. Jesus, you are worth more to me than a foot washer. Please don't wash my feet. But you know, Jesus Christ had a reason. He had some lessons that these disciples needed to learn. And these disciples needed to learn it through his actions. Through the actions of the Master, the disciples would understand. We should not scorn Peter for this, though we know that he often spoke impetuously. This is the reflection of a man who greatly loved the Lord, but had some ignorance. That had some things to get over, but the love was there. Would to God my own love for Christ would be this passionate, if not a little more informed from time to time. Jesus responds to Peter, and Simon says in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me, Peter says, look, then wash all of me. Don't just wash my feet. If that is the the condition upon which I get you, if that is the condition upon which this relationship is formed, then wash all of me. And the Lord says in verse 10, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean but not all. Jesus' response makes it very clear to Peter that Peter is already clean. That all Jesus needs to do is wash his feet. And this statement is very, very significant to you and to I. It's one that helps us understand what Jesus is doing here, but it also helps us understand the dynamic of the Christian life. See, Jesus' purpose in washing the feet of the disciples was twofold. The first purpose is found in this first point. The second purpose we'll talk about in our second point. And this first point is this. It's described that Jesus is showing them a lesson about the relationship that they have with Him as disciples. That, with the exception of one of these twelve, and we know that one to be Judas Iscariot, these disciples were cleansed They were saved. They had accepted Jesus Christ's person and work. They were believers. They were on their way to heaven. They were cleansed every whit, as Jesus Christ tells them. But, along the way, though they were clean, their feet had collected a little dust. They were clean, but their feet had collected some dirt. And as we think about that picture and we transition it into spiritual discipleship, here's what Jesus Christ was saying. Once you are clean, you don't need Jesus to clean you again. Once you are saved, you don't need Jesus to save you again. 
You're going to pick up some dirt and some dust on your feet in this life. When you pick up that dirt and that dust on your feet, you don't need to be cleansed from head to toe again. You are clean. You are saved. But, our feet need to be cleaned. But, our feet will collect a little bit of dust. The moment you were saved, you were cleansed from all unrighteousness. As the song says, you were washed in the blood of the Lamb. But as you walk through your Christian life, you sin along the way. Your feet get dirty as you walk through the path of life. What's the solution? Not to get cleaned again. You don't have to get saved again. You don't have to uh, fear that you're no longer saved and you have to get resaved every time you do something wrong. It's not to wash entirely. Jesus says once you're clean, you're clean. But rather, only to allow Jesus to wash your feet, to cleanse your feet, to get rid of the dust. And that happens as is described in Scripture in 1 John 1.9, for if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we're walking through this Christian life, we are clean every whit. We are clean from head to toe, but our feet will collect dust. Sin. will sin. The, the lesson is not, you're going to have to get saved again. You're already clean, Jesus says. The lesson is this. Confess. Forsake. Get the, get the dirt off your feet. This is what Jesus Christ is demonstrating here. That throughout their lives, the disciples will need to take care to confess their sin and allow Jesus Christ to wash their feet of the dirt of sin that collects through confession. So too, many of us in this room, as a matter of fact, as I look around, I believe every single one of us in this room, uh, by your own testimony, is a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. When you sin, you do not lose your salvation. Once you are washed, you are clean, but that doesn't mean you won't sin. It doesn't mean either that this sin should just be allowed to collect. As we confess and forsake our sin, the dust is cleaned off of our feet. So we see the first commission of Jesus Christ, we have followed. You have followed Him. You have, you have followed Him in discipleship. Now, keep clean. Keep clean. Keep a short sin account with God. When you sin, confess it and forsake it. Get it dealt with. The moment you know you've done something wrong, Stop and confess that sin before God. Get it right with God and get back into fellowship with Him. You don't have to confess it to me or to a priest or to anyone. You confess it to God. And the Scriptures say if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when sin comes up, Confess it. Forsake it. Get rid of it. Keep those feet clean. Second, the second lesson that Jesus Christ was teaching from this foot washing is this. You have followed. You are a disciple. Now, keep following. Do as I have done. In verses 12-17. through 17. Verse 12 says, So after He had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, 
Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. After finishing washing their feet, he asks, do you know what I've done to you? Well, he answers right away. They call him Master and Lord, and they ought to do so because he is Master and Lord. But even though he is Master and Lord, he just humbled himself to wash the feet of all twelve of his disciples. And if the Master and the Lord was willing to humble himself to wash the feet of his disciples, shouldn't the disciples be willing to humble themselves to serve one another as well? And so verse 15 tells us that Jesus' actions were an example that we ought to follow. For the servant is not greater than his Lord. The sendee is not greater than the sender. You are not greater than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ humbled himself and served his disciples. What should that mean for you and I? The commission is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what position you hold in your family. It doesn't matter what position you hold in your church. It doesn't matter what position you hold in your community. You are a servant of the living God, and the living God willingly humbled Himself to serve the servant. You should serve as well. We have all seen it happen in some capacity in our lives. The employee who spent years on the lowest rung, being given all the undesirable jobs, the child who was the youngest in his family, and as the youngest in his family, he got all the chores that none of the other, the other siblings wanted to do. And as they get older, or as that employee moves up the ladder in his office, he begins to have this idea that, hey, I've paid my dues. I have put in my time. And they dream of the day when they can make other people do those dirty jobs and make other people do those undesirable jobs because they're beyond that. They're, they're well past doing those dirty jobs. They're well past doing those undesirables. That's for the lowest. That's for the, the, the newest. That's for the youngest. This is the exact opposite of the mindset that Jesus is teaching here. Eleven of these men were about to become the leaders of the New Testament church. They were about to be endowed with miraculous powers and divine authority to bind on heaven, in heaven and on earth. These were men, Peter being a good example, that was about to have the ability to do tremendous miracles. They were going to be speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were going to have great gifts from the Lord. They were going to have authority. They were going to have leadership ability. They were going to have thousands following them. And as Jesus Christ was preparing these disciples for the days to come, one of the most important lessons they could learn as they entered into these positions of authority was the lesson of humility. To remember that their position did not make them better men, more godly men, 
or better disciples than any other. Rather, they had been given a great responsibility, one that brought with it great accountability. And so Jesus tells them that He has given them an example that they should do as He had done unto them. But notice the declaration that Jesus makes regarding their responsibility in verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. See, there was going to be one man of these twelve. There was one man of these twelve that did not understand Jesus' words. There was going to be one of these twelve who would not do as Jesus had done. Jesus had mentioned in verse 11 that ye are not all clean. Notice in verse 11, in verse 10, excuse me, there is a, a pronoun transition. In verses 7, 8, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, Jesus Christ is speaking with Peter. He's using thee and thou, specifically one on one with Peter. In verse 10, he transitions to and ye are clean, but not all. He's now transitioning to speaking to all of them. But there is one of these twelve that is not clean. Not, uh, one of these twelve that has not accepted the person in the work of Jesus Christ unto salvation. He was still an unbeliever. Jesus' words were not for this man, for this man had no part in him. Jesus testifies in verses 18 and 19 that one of the twelve would lift up his heel against Jesus would betray Him into the hands of the Jews who had sought to kill Him. Jesus told them so, that when it came to pass, the disciple might understand that Jesus knew it would happen, that Jesus was in control, and more importantly, that Jesus had laid down His life willingly, knowing that He would be betrayed into the hands of sinners. See, the lesson of humble service didn't end at the feet washing. Jesus' humble service was going to continue all the way to the grave. Jesus Christ was going to humiliate Himself, was going to submit Himself all the way to the very cross. And Jesus' example was meant to be followed as far as the wicked world will drive us. Jesus' example is meant to be followed into humble service one of another, but if need be, Jesus' example is meant to, for us to follow unto death. And so Jesus concludes His teaching in verse 20, that the man who receives fellow disciples in humble service is serving Jesus Christ by extension. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth Me, and he that receiveth Me receiveth him that sent Me. The man who is serving Jesus Christ is by extension serving God the Father. So you call yourself a servant of God. You seek to serve your Savior Jesus Christ. And then you get busy serving one another. And Jesus says, happy are those who don't just hear it, but those who do it. As we close, I'd like to ask ourselves a couple of questions this afternoon. And as we do so, let's allow the Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our lives. First, Jesus told His disciples, He that is washed needeth not to 
uh, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are clean. You will always be clean. You cannot, nor will you ever lose your salvation. Yet though you are clean, your feet will still collect the dust of the sins of this world. The sin needs to be identified, confessed, and forsaken. So the question is, what dust is collecting on your feet? How long do you allow that dust to stay on your feet before you get it taken care of? How often are you getting the same dust on your feet? Have you submitted yourself to Christ? Do you confess those sins regularly? See, because Jesus Christ said you followed, now keep clean. Second, we know that the servant is no greater than his master. And so we must ask ourselves, how are you doing at serving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? When the time comes to serve, to stay a few minutes and clean up, to give the extra few dollars, to drive someone home, to pick someone up, to offer those words of encouragement, to meet someone when they need you to meet them, to whatever it might be. Are you there? Are you there with your basin and your towel, eager to wash the feet of a fellow disciple? Or are you the one that says, oh, they've got enough. Never mind. They're fine. They'll, they'll work it out. They can clean off their own feet. They can do their own thing. Are we too important? Are we too busy? Too old? Too young? To go out of our way to humbly serve and bless one another? Jesus told us, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And then He said, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. You know, a father cannot always protect his children. But he can prepare them for what they're going to face. Jesus knew that the day was quickly coming when His disciples would be in the world without Him. And the first lesson that He gave them in these chapters to prepare them for His departure was the commission of clean and humble service to God and to one another. Let's allow this lesson to sink in this afternoon. Let's allow our Lord and Master to mold us into the disciples that He wants us to be. Let's be clean servants. Let's be those that as we follow Jesus Christ, we are clean. Let's be humble servants. Always willing to serve one another in love, in deference, not seeking to exalt one above another, not trying to pull rank one above another, but rather humble service to the Lord our God and to one another.